So we'll get the inbound to Reddick. Oh, he wanted the three, didn't take it. Fumbled it. Got it out long to Hayes. Shoveled it to Nikhil. Around a Jackson pick. Alley-oop. Jackson! Right hand! Yeah, baby! What a call from <laughs> Todd Graffini. Uh, hope I got that right, Todd. Uh, that's why I just call you Graf. It's easy um, to say Graf. Really fun game. Monday night at, at Smoothie King Center. Uh, probably not the ending Pelicans fans wanted, but we're going to talk about that today on Birdwatch, New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. We'll get to the ending that was controversial to say the least. Uh, we're going to talk about Zion and his seemingly imminent return a little bit today. And we're also going to talk about Lonzo Ball again, who's who's played really well these last four games. But I think we should just jump right into the end. Um, well, wait a second. I do want to talk about that call first. If he's yelling Jackson that loud, can you imagine how loud he's going to yell Zion? Like, do you think he's, like, standing in front of the mirror just, like, warming up his, like, vocal cords for just the screams he's going to have to emit on the radio? I, I guess I need to ask Graf about what his <laughs> pregame routines are. Like, is he, is he like, rubbing garlic on his vocal cords right, you got to warm up for stuff like that. Otherwise, you're going to thrash your pipes otherwise. I mean, you're... You're not going to make it through a season. Yeah, <laughs> I said probably. Uh, you don't like wake ten, up in the morning with that type yeah. of roar. I said probably ten feet away from from graphic games, and you can hear him. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really loud in there, especially you know that game against the Jazz was was one of the loudest games all year. I'd probably say it was the loudest game in there besides the the Lakers game where they just booed Anthony Davis anytime he got the ball. But yeah, I mean, you can hear Graf doing his thing, and I love it. I love the passion. I mean, that was just a, a freaking fun. fun basketball game. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but I mean, yeah, we can we can just jump in, go, go from back to front on that Jazz game, honestly. There's a lot to talk about there, I think. Yeah, oh, there's a ton to talk about it and digest. I mean, the fact that the Pelicans were, you know, went shot for shot against a real, a pretty good Jazz team, you know, they've, they'd won 10 of 11 going into that game. They're they're playing their best basketball of the year. And really, you know, one of the, the NBA's class teams over the past couple of years without Drew Holiday, I thought was really, really impressive. The play at the end... There's five seconds left. Brandon Ingram grabs Boyan Bogdanovich has missed three, and Alvin Gentry immediately signals for a timeout. And Lonzo Ball. Both of them were trying to get that timeout called. You can see on the replay. The referees do not see yeah. either timeout, so Brandon Ingram was basically forced to, I got to take it the length of the floor in five seconds. Alvin and Lonzo both kind of realize, like, once it gets down to, like, three seconds, like, well, we're kind of screwed if they do call the timeout now. Right. So they both just pulled it away, and they're like, all right, B.I., this is basically on you. So I thought Ingram did exactly what he was supposed to do in that situation. You want to take it right at the rim and, and you know, try to make the refs make a decision or, or at least have the chance to get called in a foul. You know, I think B.I., one of my few criticisms of his game this year is that in clutch situations, he's often gone to, like, his, his fadeaway jumper yeah, in the mid-range. Mid-range fadeaway that's a good shot, but it's, you know, yeah. not putting a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah, I like to see, you know, especially your six foot nine forward is a really good ball handler, take it at the teeth of defense. And he did. He drove it right at Rudy Gobert, yeah, the two-time reigning defensive yeah, the, player of the year. The problem is that the teeth of that defense is Rudy Gobert. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and I, then think still, can, I still think it's the right play, but yeah. it's tough when that guy you're trying to drive on is the best defensive player in basketball, at least statistically and, you know, trophy-wise. That's probably the most <laughs> difficult guy in all of basketball to take it, like, right in his mug. But nonetheless, what came next, I'll say, was debatable. Uh, we'll see in the last two-minute report. I told the Jazz Beat writers that my prediction is that it indicates that it, that it was indeed a foul. I showed them the screenshot of Rudy Gobert kind of getting Ingram in the forearm, and they still felt 
that it was not a foul. So we'll see. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think in live action, I think that's there's a lot to kind of parse out here. I watched this game on the broadcast, and I think a lot of the confusion is based off of the broadcast didn't seem to fully grasp the the rules regarding review review there. So I think we should kind of go into that, which is you can't challenge a play for a non-call. You can only challenge a call that was made. Like in and the rules are pretty explicit about that. In the NBA rule book regarding coaching challenges, it says, quote, any non-call is not a challengeable event. You literally can't challenge that. So that's out. Like Alvin Gentry isn't allowed to buzz the buzz the refs and say, look at that, unless they had called a foul and he, he wants to adjust it. You can also only challenge a call made against your team. You can't challenge a call made against that, the other opponent. So it would have to be Quinn Snyder challenging that in the other way. But that couldn't happen. Second, an automatic review cannot be triggered for a non-call in that situation. It could have only been triggered, say, like they if they had said, we didn't call it because time had expired. And then they could go back and review it. And if they ruled that it was a foul within the time, then they could have added it. But in that case, there's no challenge. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I had a, a couple people, you know, tweeting me a play against the Timberwolves a couple weeks ago where they did challenge. Uh, the Timberwolves had their challenge left. And, you know, they, they overturned uh, Brandon Ingram, you know, uh, trip to the free throw line. And that was because it was a blocker charge call. That's that's like one of the few loopholes to where they can review block and charge calls. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get why they, they couldn't review it, it for contact because it was a non-call in the first place. Yeah. Lonzo Ball, pretty blunt post game. It was a foul. We should have got two free throws and didn't. Rudy Gobert, you'll be surprised. He did not think it was a foul, Jeff. <laughs> or did not say he thought it was no. a foul. I, I don't blame him. Um, he got all ball. You know, I, I thought that even though even though Ingram <laughs> did kind of hook him with the, the left arm a little bit, I thought that Gobert came down in, on Ingram's forearm first. So I probably would have called it if it was me. We're going to see in the last two-minute report comes out in yeah. about four hours. But I, mean, I think it was probably a foul, um, which, you know, is a shame. I would have loved to see five more minutes of basketball. Ingram was eight for eight at the free throw line. My guess is he knocks those two down. He's made, what, his last 32? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think he would have made those. But that's kind of the danger of driving at Rudy Gobert. One, he's a great defensive player, and you're going to have a hard time scoring. Two, the refs know he's a great defensive player, and he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. You know, if that's if that's Jackson Hayes, it's a foul 10 times out of 10 because he has a reputation of fouling in that situation. They, the refs aren't giving him the benefit of the doubt that, like, he's a great defensive player and he probably didn't foul even if we didn't see it, you know? And that's... A, lot, a big part of the NBA, whether it's getting technical fouls called against you, whether it's fouling on drives or getting fouled on drives, it's reputation is a huge part of it. It was funny watching the play, too. I mean, Ingram, him and Gobert both crashed to the floor in a heap, and the camera zooms in on Ingram's face. And I have never seen a look of, of disbelief is that that pure. I mean, he was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, that was not a foul? And, this this and, huge dude just, like, crashed over me. And any emotion showed by Brandon Ingram needs to be, like, multiplied to the value of 10 just because of who <laughs> he is, right? Like, he doesn't show emotion or he's so even-keeled that, like, if you see emotion out of him, you know it's a big deal. Yeah, uh, J.J. Reddick called him a, a bona fide star after the game. Um, you know, I, I think what, he, what Ingram has done this year merits that. But he didn't get the bona fide star call. He did not. Rudy Gobert got the bona fide star call. That's what they were saying after the game on the on the post game show, which is like maybe once he makes it to the All Star game, he'll get that call. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was funny, but it's also true. I mean, it, you get calls when you are considered a star in this league, or on the on the flip side, you get the benefit of not getting a foul call there when you're a star defensive player. 
And I think that's what you saw. I do want to add to that the timeout not getting granted, it needed to be granted immediately, right? Because NBA rules stipulate that if you call a timeout on the on the rebound on that situation, you can advance the ball. Once Brandon Ingram took, took a dribble and took a step, if they had been granted that timeout at that point, they would have had to inbound the ball from the backcourt. So the Pelicans are actually fortunate that <laughs> once they didn't get the timeout granted immediately, the refs didn't just give them the timeout with Brandon Ingram halfway up the floor. Because once you didn't get the timeout there, you it's objectively better of a scenario for you to just go and not let the Jazz, one of the best defensive teams in the you know NBA, set their half court, and then you're trying to create a shot with three seconds left. Yeah, and this is a little inside basketball too, but you know, oftentimes NBA coaches will let the officials know that if there's going to be a situation where there's like you know a five ten second difference between the shot clock and game clock, they tell them ahead of time, hey, if we get this rebound, we're going to call a timeout, so so right. expect it. You know, I don't know if if Alvin Gentry alerted them. That's not that's not really something like you can ask him. I, I'm just not sure, but that's usually what what coaches will do. In, in that instance, I'm, I'm just not sure if that occurred, but a really tough break. Um, he wasn't talkative after that game? <laughs> well, it was funny, man, because the the frustration and the anger was palpable. And, you know, there, Alvin Gentry is like a guy will, who will go in on the refs sometimes. And there have been some pretty bad calls this season at, at certain points. You know, the Nets game, if, if you think back to that one. The shot clock violation. Yeah, the shot clock violation. That was, that was pretty egregious. You know, this game, like, he was clearly steamed. I mean, the the photo that I used on, on top of my story, kind of explaining the final play, tells it all. He's right in Kane Pittman's face, like, letting him have it mm-hmm. about the play. But, yeah, he wanted to save his money, you know? I, I think he's got a, a kid in college right now. Uh, he's got tuition <laughs> payments to make. So I think it was probably smart, you know, save your money. Yeah, and, I mean, if you want to go back and look at the transcript, which I, I tweeted this, uh, from it was from Gentry right after the game. He was asked, is it frustrating for a game to end that way when you're trying to call a timeout and you don't get a call like that? Alvin Gentry responds, quote, yes. <laughs> and and I didn't I don't think I I don't think I captured the uh, the essence of how angry that yes was. Yes. You couldn't you said a lot more words than one in that one word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean you could just see it on on Alvin's face and I don't blame him, man. I mean I, I, I thought it was credit. I would have been like I was I was ranting at the television in my own house, alone in the room with no one to hear me. If that was, if, they, if someone had put a microphone in front of my face in that situation, I probably would have. Uh, you know, you would have just seen like dollar signs flowing into the microphone. Yeah. So. The, the one thing Alvin did say, and he was he almost like trailed off when he said it. It was at the end of one of his comments. He said, "We deserve to win that game." Man, he he wanted this game, and the Pelicans. I I thought, you know, it's a shame. I I thought that was one of the best games they've played all season. They made a lot of tough shots against a very good defensive team. They took care of the ball only, what, six turnovers all night. I mean, they played a, a very clean basketball game. They played really hard. Honestly, this was like one of their, their best performances of the season. And I, I think in, in two of like maybe their top five performances of the season against the Lakers at home, they played really well. And this one, they came up just short, and that really stinks. I mean, the, the margin for error for this team is is just so small. I mean, that's going to be the case when you lose 13 games in a row. You just have to, you know, when when you have those games where they're within five points the last five minutes, you kind of got to come out on top in, in a lot of those games going forward if you want to be in that playoff picture. Yeah, and in the beginning of the season, they, they couldn't close games. And, and that's not even what you saw in that 13-game losing streak. I don't even think that was about closing games. I think that was just about bad basketball. 
I don't think that that was the issue in that game. They closed that game well, just didn't go their way. And sometimes you're just it's just not going to go your way. Whereas it did go their way in Sacramento after the four point play and with <clears throat> JJ Redick, uh, Mister working on his bag goes to the rim with a left-hand floater high off the backboard and finishes that game off. So, I mean, if you want to look at the, the value of karma and luck, I think they, they probably got it. <laughs> they probably used what they had it stored up in the Kings game. But I said last week, this team needs to be able to win more than one way. They proved that they can hold some teams down and, and clamp down. They, they held the Timberwolves to 99 points. They held the Blazers to 94, the Nuggets to 100, Indiana to 98. They won all of those games. I think they proved to themselves like we can play defense. But there are going to be games, especially, you know, when you don't have holiday, you got to be able to win. <laughs> you got to be able to score enough. And they did last night. They scored 126 points on the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I, I thought actually they played like a solid defensive game. I just thought the Jazz one are really good and, and two just just made a lot of shots. Oh my god, they they hit shots. I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich was out of his mind. Yeah, he's a, he's a freak. He's such a good scorer. And I, the one thing the the Pelicans are kind of small on the wings as is. So like Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles, who have have kind of great size on the wings for Utah, are, are naturally going to be a tough matchup for them. And the one thing I'll say about Bogdanovich too is. The way the Pelicans are, are playing the pick and roll right now is they want to encourage like mid-range shots and Bogdanovich is kind of an expert mid-range operator. Like he'll he'll go over the, the screen and get the defender on his backside and just like toy with him and, and stay in front of him, be able to drop in like those those floaters or you know, those shots from ten feet away or whatever. And that's kind of what the Pelicans are trying to give up right now. And he's just really good at that. He had 35 points. I mean, he was a killer all night. Joe Ingles had 22. Joe Ingles hit four or five threes. Like I said, the Pelicans played pretty good defense. And, you know, in their, their nine games coming into Utah game, I believe they're their third best defensive team in basketball. So it definitely has picked up on, on that end. But that was a really good team that just yeah. made some shots. I mean, if you want to look, I mean, that was the most points the Jazz have allowed this season. They allowed, we had one other game where they allowed, uh, 120 points or more. Can you guess uh, which team that was that scored 120 on them? Lakers? Nope. Oh. That was the Pelicans. <laughs> the Pelicans? Oh, wow. Yeah, the first time they lo- they lost... Uh, oh, let me look back. I just had it. Yeah, that, that game they lost 128-120. It was on November 23rd. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had 37 points. Uh, so, yeah, the Pelicans are the only team to score 120 points against the, the Jazz, and they've done it twice. I think you, you said a lot earlier in the season that there's a fun team here. Just not sure if we're going to be able to find it. Watching that game, even in a loss, that was a fun team to watch. The way they went about their offense, the way they took shots confidently, the way Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram are just knocking down shots. J.J. Redick, he had a he had a slow start to the season. I think he was working his way in trying to figure out where he fits in this offense. I think he's found it. I mean, he the way he's just moving all over the floor, coming off screens, doing what he does, but then also, you know, stretching the defense. He had a really, really nice connection with Jackson Hayes on a on a dime pass from the perimeter. He did he did a back cut and Jackson found him. And it's like that's the type of thing you weren't seeing early in the season. There every shot seemed like a stretch, seemed like a isolation. And now you're kind of seeing the team flow and even allowing 128 points and that didn't feel like they were getting outclassed. They were just playing basketball. Um and it was fun. Yeah, they, they've definitely started to gel. I mean, they fell behind 11 points in the third quarter, and I thought, you know, at that point I was like, okay, they've they've played hard, but 
they're just outclassed. Like, this is where the game gets away from him. You know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker throws a crazy oop to Jackson Hayes. That mm. was the beginning of the show. Graf's call on that one. Uh, Brandon Ingram hits a couple of shots, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're leading going into the fourth quarter. I, I thought, you know, the fight they showed was remarkable. The crowd was super into it, man. Like, there was defense chance in the third quarter, which you almost never hear at, at Smoothie King Center. I mean, they were... They Unless, were really I mean, sometimes it. you hear them as, as like a like a joke cheer. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there, there was... Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, and, man, that it was such a tough one, but... I, I really did thought they they played well, and you know when you when you talk about this team starting to gel, you know Reddick is obviously playing at a high level in year fourteen, but I, I think you know we're seeing two things that we didn't see early in the season. We talked about it a lot. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but Derek Favors is incredibly important to this team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and also Alonzo Ball. Uh, I mean, they tried to make it work at the beginning part of the year. They threw him in the starting lineup, like they wanted the the Ball Holiday pairing to work and and it didn't from jump street i mean it was terrible uh at the beginning part of the year lonzo and i guess we can kind of put a pin in this looks like a completely different guy i disagree he looks like the lonzo ball i remember well from like the right. first few months he of the looks season. yeah i yeah, know i understand he looks like a different guy but he looks like a guy i know which is like the guy you expected when he went number what number three two number two yeah you went yeah. ahead of Jason Tatum that's right uh number two in the draft when he when he started UCLA and like you you saw him play and he was just and he fun to watch when I say this team is fun to watch it's because the players are having fun like Lonzo Ball doesn't look like he's miserable out in the court because he's just lost he he seems to understand his role it was real especially without Drew there when he went off the court the offense changed right because they were flowing they were it was all natural like he was actually able to suck defenders in on shots, which he hasn't been able to do most of this season. And that was what you expected when you brought him in, you know, at least what you were hoping for. And he's finally getting there. And uh, it's just, you know, even in a loss, I think they proved a lot, which is they took, you know, the Jazz are number five out west. They took them down to the final possession. You could argue that it should have gone to overtime. You know, they they... They struggled against the Lakers. They went to Sacramento when they won that game. You know, uh, so there's still, there's still, you're still talking about a team that's won six of its last nine games, and you have the Bulls on Wednesday, and you kind of go from there. But I, I'm really encouraged with what I've seen in the last few weeks, and it's it's nice to see, uh, even though two two New Orleans sports games in the last uh, 48 hours have ended. And tragedy. <laughs> yeah, New Orleans' uh, relationship with referees in general. Uh, oh, man, it's like they're trying. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a complicated one. Okay, let's take a, a break on Birdwatch, and right after the break, we're going to talk about Lonzo Ball a little bit more and just how good he's been these past four games. Then we're going to talk about Zion a little bit, too. Okay, back here on Birdwatch. Jeff, there was a play in the second quarter yesterday where Lonzo Ball, you know, starting from kind of deep in the left side of the floor, he makes this in-and-out dribble with his left hand and and finishes a left-handed layup kind of through, you know, heavy contact. That was the moment that made me sit up in my seat, or at least one of the moments that made me sit up in my seat and say, I don't I don't know, like, who this guy is. I mean, this, like you said earlier, this, this looks like the UCLA version of Lonzo, but... I, I just can't believe the 180 that this guy has done, not only with the three-point shot, but also attacking downhill. I've I said all year, I, I think that's kind of the key for him, is he's he's got to have that momentum going downhill. He's got, he can't be afraid to drive the basketball. 
And, you know, the last four games he shot 15 of 22 inside of five feet. And we are seeing him put pressure on the defense off the dribble. I just can't believe the, the 180 that he's done in these four games. I mean, he, he'd never scored 20 points in two consecutive games prior to the stretch. He's gone for 20 or more in four straight. I had tweeted, uh, I think I tweeted after the, midway through the Sacramento Kings game, I think in the fourth quarter, I think my tweet was like, I haven't seen Lonzo Ball this far in his bag since UCLA. Like, I haven't seen it. Someone responded to like, he did this last year. I was like, no, he didn't. I'm sorry, he didn't. He had good games with the Lakers, right? He's never had this type of stretch of consistent high-level play before in the NBA. And it's tough to do when you're playing with LeBron because so much of the focus is on him leading that offense. And if you're a pass-first point guard on a team with LeBron James, who's currently at leading the NBA in assists, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have a hard time making consistent contributions. But no, and you mentioned that one play. I, you know, the, that play was great. And I actually, I remember what you're talking about. The play that I looked at, and you know, I thought was actually more telling was not even that play. It was when he drove in. Uh, he went for, I think he just kind of like did a euro in the lane and went for like a left-handed like hard layup against Rudy Gobert and got it blocked, right? And I was actually encouraged by that because he needs to set the expectation that he's going to try to finish even if it doesn't always work you know if you if you're only like basing your offense off of like oh this this worked like you have to understand just because that's you know it's like it's like set, throwing a fastball to set up a changeup. if you only throw changeups, they're going to sit on the changeup and they're going to hit it <laughs> you know 600 yeah. feet you know if, if they're expecting a fastball and then you hit him with a changeup, then it works uh it's like what each one more is based his entire career off of <laughs> Lonzo is in his bag, man. I mean, you saw last night, like, he was going, you know, between the legs. Like, mm-hmm. he had he had some bounce in his step. Like, he was doing the Michael Jordan, like, you know, go between your legs, like, five times in a row before you attack. He looks like he's having fun. Like, I'm, I've seen genuine emotion from him a couple times the past couple games, which he was just a blank slate in the early part right. of the year. And that's kind of just who he is as a guy. But, like, that Kings game... He had a player who got a rebound in the fourth quarter and, and kicked it to Derek Favors for an and one. It and wasn't Lonzo, even like, yelled. He was like, and one! It wasn't even a kick, though. That's what made it great. It was like he was standing there. He could have easily put that ball in. It was like a flip to Derek Favors, who, you know, it's like, yeah, give the big guy, you know, let the big guy eat. He does all the hard work. He handled the ball. And, it, you know, normally you'd be like, well, that's kind of silly. Why did you're going to get two points either way? But it actually turned into a four-point play because Favors finished it, got fouled. And then uh, Harry Giles was so frustrated that he threw the ball against the stanchion and got a technical. It's great. <laughs> and it's like, you know, obviously you can't bank on that, but it was just like just the act of being unselfish actually turned into four points instead of two. You know, I don't think you should probably make a habit of giving up easy layups for just kind of style points. <laughs> but it was just, just seeing that happen is when I say it reminds me of UCLA, that's the type of thing he would have done in college that you haven't seen from him and just the kind of what made him so much fun to watch. Uh, and that, that was a great, it's a great example. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. He, he was floating through games earlier this season and now he's like, the, he's like making it, you know, he has fingerprints all over the game. Like the game they're playing, you know, Lonzo ball style of basketball, getting up and down mm-hmm. and, and guys moving without the ball. I think Lonzo, when he's engaged is a re- really good off ball cutter. And you really see the vision of, of, of why people were optimistic, you know, Lonzo coming in to play in Alvin Gentry's system. It makes a lot of sense now. And I think Lonzo's playing so well that you have to wonder. I, I, I mean, I don't think that even when Zion comes back, they can take him out of the starting lineup. I mean, I, nope. I think that 
you know, the way he was playing before the, the stretch that, yeah, you would bring him off the bench and just go with J.J. Redick around Zion because you got to surround Zion with, with as much shooting as possible. But I'm just not sure that they're going to take Lonzo out of the starting lineup when he's playing this way, even though the Pelicans, I mean, we'll, we'll see if they can they can surround Zion with enough shooting. Well, hey, I mean, and if if he's shooting forty percent from three, then that's you know that that was always the concern is you you can't surround Zion with a bunch of thirty percent three point shooters because Drew Holiday is never you know in his career he's never been an elite shooter, uh, so you you kind of and he's the shooting guard, <laughs> so you you can't have two guards that aren't a threat from the perimeter or at least not a threat that's like really keeping you honest. Um, and but the last ten games he's done that he's shot he has shot forty percent from three the last ten games on a pretty decent number I mean he's taken twelve threes a couple times in that stretch but the to me the <laughs> the really bizarre stat which you know it's going to be talked about his whole career it's going to be something that you look at and say okay how do we fix this he is shooting exactly forty percent from three forty point eight percent if you want to be technical and he is shooting forty percent on free throws on like you know I think it's five of sixteen <laughs> it's not many but. He yeah, is shooting if, the exact same percentage from three as he is from free throw from the free throw line. So from 14 feet and 24 feet, he's the same. <laughs> well, that, that was why you know late in that game when he got fouled on a three point shot, it actually wasn't that bad of a play. I mean, usually that's the worst play you can make in basketball, fouling a three point shooter. Not that bad. I mean, that's obviously the the one area where you need to see you know Lonzo make a lot of strides. I mean, if you just do a basketball reference search for guards who have attempted 150 free throws in their career. Uh, Lonzo's, I mean, Lonzo has the worst free throw percentage. I, I mean, it's a glaring, glaring hole. Um, so one that he needs to get corrected. It's forty-five percent in his career. Yeah, it's that's that's uh, like like Shaq level bad. It's it's worse than Shaq. Yeah. What is this? What is Shaq's career free throw? We should have looked this up. I think he's like right at fifty, but without looking. Fifty-two point seven percent. So he's like he's significantly worse than Shaq. Yeah. A guy who you created an entire defensive strategy based around fouling him. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah, it it's it's so weird. And on that play you were talking about, the funny thing to me was, like, he missed, he, he took the shot and almost went in. And he was laying on the floor, like, banging the ground, like, frustrated. And I was like, I can't tell if he's frustrated or, or more frustrated. He's not going to get a chance for a four-point play or the fact that he has to take three free throws. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he made one of them, statistically, is, like, the best you could hope for. He's, you know, one out of three. That's his. That's his career numbers. I mean, yeah, a little bit better than than one out of three for his career. But yeah, it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's closer to one out of three than two out of three. Right. Exactly. That's not great, I mean. Bob. He, he didn't buck any statistics by by missing two of those. Put it that way. Like that's that's what you can expect. So, you know, I I, I would say that that Lonzo's gonna gonna remain in the starting lineup when yeah. Zion is back in a couple of games. You know, whether that's three, four, five games down the road. And that gives you a starting lineup of Drew, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors. I think that's a really fun lineup, you know, athletic, versatile. I think one that we'll be able to defend. And as much as it gives me a little pause that there might not be enough shooting around Zion, I think one of the most exciting things is that I think Lonzo and Zion are going to have a connection. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to be killer in the pick and roll when they're able to to get some rhythm together. And I can't wait to watch those two guys play together. Right, and, and it's going to allow the Pelicans to keep elite athleticism on the floor most of the game because, you know, you're still going to have Jackson Hayes in that rotation. And he, you know, for all of his, like, kind of young young kid, like not really finesse defense type issues, 
he puts strain on the defense just in the sense that you have to always be aware that he can get a lob four feet above the rim. When you're playing a team like the Jazz with Rudy Gobert, that's kind of where they live. And I think that's part of the reason you saw so many threes and so many like so many shots from the perimeter. Whereas like most teams aren't gonna have that type of rim protection. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's gonna be something that opens up lanes for Lonzo and for Brandon Ingram, who's gonna have suddenly have, you know, breathing space for the first time all season. The same way, you know, really good three-point shooters have gravity, like their defenders want to hug them and stay close to them, really good role men in the pick-and-roll have gravity. Like, Zion, I think, is going to have gravity. Guys are going to be terrified that he's going to go up and, and finish a lob or whatever. In college, I mean, he was the most, you know, one of the most dangerous college, like, pick-and-roll finishers ever. So he, I, I think he'll definitely have, have gravity as a role man. Um Let's let's look a little bit ahead and 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 just talk about you know the seemingly imminent return of Zion. I want to just paint the scene for you yesterday of what I saw before the game when Zion went through his on court work. It was like an hour and fifteen minutes until tip, and and Zion walks out of the tunnel with he has first of all a personal security guard. I mean he's I mean he's that valuable an asset. I'm not even like <laughs> making light of it, but he just does. And there's like probably. 75, 100 people sitting like kind of courtside, you know, watching pregame warmups. They stand on their feet and clap for like for Zion like he's a conquering war hero or something. That kind of reminds me of just like when Odell Beckham was in New York and he would like literally people would show up early to the games to watch him make one-handed catches and do crazy things. And that's the type of thing you see like just that's the type of excitement around Zion literally just doing anything basketball related right now. He's not even playing. But people are so, so just just fired up to see him on the court that they literally sit there for an hour before a you know a Monday night basketball game just to see if he can dunk. And he's, I mean, he still can. <laughs> well, he dunked three times during his, his on-court workout that I counted. Uh, one of them, he went between his legs. He also threw down like one where he cocked it all the way behind his head. It looked like encouraging signs. Uh, he was playing with the – his teammates were assistant coaches. That's what uh, – that's what I heard on the on the broadcast. And yeah, Jen Jen Hill reported that he played uh, four on four with some of the player development guys, um, and he's ramping up to to play five on five. I mean, five on five is like with with the team is the clearest sign that yeah, this is this is going to happen pretty soon. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the runway, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're you want to make the analogy of a plane taking off, the four on four was basically like the boarding process. Everyone's getting ready. Like okay, everyone's set. Now we're going to get to the runway and we're going to do five on five. And then if everything goes fine, you know, wheels up. Yeah. Yeah. I I would be surprised, I'll say, if we see him on this three-game road trip. Um, I think, you know, the, the two-game homestand right after that one against the Jazz and Clippers is a, a maybe. Um, you, I don't want to say I'm not reporting or anything, but, you know, I, I think there's a chance that we see him then. But, you know, he's, he's going to... Coming to a team that that's playing its best basketball of the season, they've won six of nine. And as I've said all along, the beauty of Zion is that he's kind of a plug and play player. Like he does not need the basketball to be really, really good. I was looking at some of the old Duke statistics from last year. Is he averages as many points per game as RJ Barrett on five fewer field goal attempts? Like Duke ran their offense through RJ Barrett. He he was the guy who got the you know all the shots, and, and Zion still scored as much as him. Yeah, and I'm interested to see that motor. You know, I think it'll take a few games. I don't think, you know, if, if you watch guys coming back from injuries, it's very difficult. You saw this with favors. It's very difficult to get in game shape without playing games. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's played basketball can, can probably just have, you know, some sort of understanding of this, which is like just the act of playing basketball and running and jumping and, and you know, making quick changes of direction. 
having to react, it's like not something you can simulate in, in a workout. Um, and I'm interested to see how that reacts after that much time off. Probably the longest off off of basketball he's been in his you know in his life. You know, yeah. once he started playing. Because one of the things that he did at Duke, and which is actually something that Brandon Ingram did last night, I think it was going into the fourth quarter, maybe before halftime, I can't remember, is he went in hard, he missed, but he, he his second jump was fast enough that he got the rebound put it in. And that's something that Zion does better than basically anyone on the planet. His second jump, he's like he's like a pogo stick. He goes up. A 285-pound right, pogo stick. <laughs> right, he, and he's, he's not getting knocked off either. So he goes up, he misses the shot, and he's already up in the air before anyone else even knows where the ball is. And that's pure motor. Yeah. And it's something that makes him special. It makes him unique. But I think it's something that you got to give him a little time to get back. He's going to look. He's going to look slow. I think. Right? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, I think you know, bringing up the Derek Favors situation is, is very applicable. I mean, Favors wasn't out with like uh, a serious knee injury. He was out for personal reasons. But you know, when you take that much time off of basketball, no matter what it is, it's just going to take you a while to to look like your old self. You know, Fave was playing. 15, 20 minutes a night there for uh, a couple of games. And I think you'll see Zion do something similar. Like, I I would expect them to bring him off the bench the first couple of games and, and really slow play it, which perfectly understandable. So, yeah, I mean. And, and Favors is listed 20 pounds lighter <laughs> than Zion, <laughs> which is, like, so hard to fathom. Well, isn't Boban Marjanovic the only guy in the league who's uh, listed at a heavier weight than Zion? Nurkic was okay. at the beginning of the season. I He may have dropped. He, I don't think he's played yet because he, he had that just gruesome injury last year. But, uh. Taco Fall. Okay. The 7'6 guy. <laughs> he weighs more. And Zion is 6'6". Six six. <laughs> yeah. He's literally a foot taller. Uh, let's, see, let's see what Taco Fall's listed at. I think it's close to 300. I think his BMI is pretty decent, though. Yeah. <laughs> you have to extend it. It's pretty. like a 4. 4%. Taco Fall, which, I mean, like, I don't even know how you put it. Yeah, Taco Fall's 311 pounds. They list him at a uh, a modest seven foot five. Okay. One of the leading vote-getters for the All-Star game. <laughs> Eastern Conference, by the way. Yeah, him and uh, him in the East, and Alex Caruso in the West. Ah, uh, Caruso. We, you know, one of my f- things that bugs me most about media is like the hype Alex Caruso receives, like from like the Bleacher Report official account. So let's not ta- spend any more words about Alex Caruso. Uh, the only thing uh, I'll say about him is he's Scott Kushner's balding, uh, balding NBA idol. I think is what what he called him. <laughs> um, which you, yeah, good for him. <laughs> LeBron was balding a few years ago, and he found a way to circumvent that. So maybe, uh, maybe there's hope for all of us. Yeah, LeBron will uh, have this podcast taken off Apple Podcasts for saying that. So. <laughs> hey, he's got either. great hairline. Great hairline for LeBron. Can't be beat. His <laughs> hairline game is legendary. Um, <laughs> but no, so okay, you know we're recording this before the five on five session, so we, we there's no way for us to know at this point if that goes well. If there's a setback, all of this could change. But I do want to kind of. Find like set the expectations. Kind of talk about what do you expect when he comes back? Is there going to be a minutes restriction? I, I imagine there will be. You know what? What? What do you think is going to be that kind of like? If you're a fan watching the game, if you want to buy a ticket, and he's technically back. You know what's that experience going to be like? In your opinion, obviously this is a lot of conjecture. Well, if you, I think if you want to see like the Zion that you saw in those four preseason games when you know he was a killer, and and the Zion that you saw at Duke. You know, it's probably going to be a little bit closer to the All-Star break before he's able to regain that form. You know, like you said, there's going to be a ramp-up process. I mean, we, we saw that with Derek Favors where he's playing 15, 20 minutes a night. So, shoot, I would I would want to be in the building for, for Zion's, like, debut, you know, no matter if he was even going to play 15 or 20 minutes. 
but yeah, I would I would say you know give Zion some some time. I mean he he's had a couple months here off basketball surgery to repair the lateral meniscus in his right knee. I mean that's not like the most serious surgery you can have. It's not an ACL or anything, but like it's not insignificant. So give him some time. He's also an unprecedented player. Like there's there's just never been a, a guy six foot six, two hundred and eighty five pounds who can jump forty five inches in the air. You know, I think Charles Barkley is like probably one of the closest comparisons you have and like I mean Charles Barkley was not jumping that high. And no, it's really it's it's the closest comparison you have and that's telling that there's really no comparison. Yeah, there's <laughs> because no. you watch him play in the like they have similar styles of play in that they both do similar things, but just the athleticism involved with Zion is something you've never seen before. Yeah, they're both they're both, you know, bowling balls, you right. know, going to the basket and, and, and finishing inside, but like Zion is a much bigger, more powerful, right. faster moving bowling ball. I've 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 always said like somewhere between Larry Johnson and Charles Barkley is like this Zion in terms of like Larry Johnson was always this incredible athlete, but his his offensive game wasn't where you probably wanted it to be. Whereas Charles Barkley was the better offensive player, and but he didn't have that. You know, he was a chubby guy. That was kind of what made him great was that he spent his whole life being a chubby guy and getting rebounds, and then he became this NBA player and was able to do things that he wasn't able to do his whole career. Right? Yeah, I think that's and, pretty good. And then maybe you sprinkle in like Sean Kemp's like ability to finish and hammer on people and like one. his like yeah. ferocity. So that's I guess the best. But you're comparison. also playing in today's NBA where he has to be a jump shooter at some point. He has to be able to make those shots. So you're going to see a little more finesse out of him, I think, than any of those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is even you know when he's not dunking, he's a remarkable finisher uh, around the rim. He's got he's got a great touch inside. But I also do want to say like. I know that fans are going to get frustrated throughout the, you know, there's 40, so they've played 37 games, there's 45 games left in the season. Say Zion comes back at the halfway mark, and on their 41st, 42nd game of the season, that would put them, I think, the Clippers. You're not going to, you're going to have situations where he's going to come down with, like, a bruise, and he's going to miss a game, right? Like, they're going to, the Pelicans are not, you know, just because they're in the playoff race and they have a chance at the eighth seed, you know, they're not going to throw caution to the wind and say, like, okay, we're going for it. Like, he's still going to be protected to the point, like, just, as if they were a lottery team. They may, they could shut him down if it, if it gets to a point where, you know, he has kind of a nagging injury that they just don't even want to mess with. There is going to be, I, I will put money on the fact there are going to be games that he is a game time scratch because he just doesn't feel right that day. You know, so as a fan who's buying a ticket and getting really excited to go see Zion, they show up and he's not playing. It's going to be frustrating, but it's just something you have to be ready for. Uh, I, I keep bringing this up, but it's probably the only fair comparison is Joel Embiid's first season. He missed his first two seasons. His first season in the NBA was 2016-17. He played 31 games. That's probably, if you're, if you're lucky, Zion Williamson will play in 31 games this year. Um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's only 40. I mean, that, that means right, that he comes right. back with 41 games remaining and he misses 10, which he's not going to play on back to, the second half of back-to-backs. You can put money on that yeah yeah um David and, Griffin said that you're right yeah and so I mean that's that's a baked in few games missed there I, I don't know the number of that but it's going to be at least three or four and and then you have a few more games where you're going to have maintenance days where you know his knee's not feeling right and they're going to say okay not today I mean even like Drew Holiday they're giving him like Drew Holiday's missed two games this season with injuries that could probably be described as like a bad bruise yeah like right now he has an elbow contusion it's a bruise this is a playoff game he's he's in there but I think they're they're trying to keep the load off him 
so they're giving him those days off. I think the Rockets game was another one where he had a he had a thigh bruise and they, they, he didn't play. So I, I mean, I think that you, you're going to have to be ready for it. It's going to happen. Uh, and I just I I worry that you know the the narrative around it is going to be ugly if you know it happens a lot. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think 31 somewhere in there is a pretty fair number. If if you just look at uh 538's playoff odds right now. Uh, they're giving the Pelicans a 43% chance of, of making the playoffs, which, you know, might be a little bit higher than you expect. I think, you know, the, the fact that they've got a soft schedule the rest of the way is a factor in that. Uh, just looking at the standings, the Pelicans are, let's see here, uh, four games back of the eighth-seeded San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, I guess that's a lot of ground to make up one, but also... There are five teams in between the Pelicans and the Spurs in the standings. So there are a lot of, you know, teams kind of in in that, like, 8 through 14 range jockeying for position. I think the Spurs will definitely be in the mix until the end. Uh, I still think the Trailblazers will. I don't see the Grizzlies, Timberwolves, or Suns hanging around. So I think it's probably going to come down to to San Antonio, Portland, or, or New Orleans for that last spot in the Western Conference. But it's going to be really hard, but... I do think it's doable. Um, I would I would be surprised if they made it, but it's doable. Yeah, I mean, I would be too. But I think I think the projections are based on two things. One, you know, the the strength of the schedule remaining, which they've gotten a lot of that really tough half of the schedule out of the way. And you know, I think that they're projecting what the team has done over the last ten games, which is win. They're six. They've won six of ten. You know, a five hundred basketball team will make the playoffs. You were saying last night that you think so. You think the Bulls game is a must-win for them on Wednesday, which it's tough to call any game halfway through the season must-win. Why? Why do you think that's the case? You know, what's what's your reasoning for that? Even like they don't need to win the game to make the playoffs, but obviously there's there's factors involved. Yeah, you just have to beat the bad teams. If like you have to beat all of them, and then you have to beat like a handful of the teams that are you know ahead of you or or, or better than you. I mean, you have to like have. I mean, they've had pretty bad luck, and they've just been really bad in in those close games. You know what the NBA would define as like uh, games that were within five points in the last five minutes. You need to have a lot of those go your way going forward. Um, and yeah, you, you just you just got to beat who you're supposed to beat. I mean, Chicago, New York, you probably need to win both of those. Um, you know, at Detroit is one that that you really like to have. So they're not gonna. I mean, their, their margin for error is just so so small. As, as JJ Redick explained in that game last night, um, you just can't have any stumbles really. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny thing to me is like they have they have one a lot of their games have come against the teams they probably should lose to. <laughs> they four of their games have come, four of their wins four of their twelve wins have come against Portland and Denver, both you know playoff caliber teams. They have wins against Indiana, a playoff team, Houston, the ghost of Houston. So I don't really count that, but still a playoff team. Sacramento, I think, will be right there. And there was there was one other that I'm that I'm missing. Oh, the Clippers again. They were missing Kawhi Leonard, but they had Paul George. So it's like a lot of these wins have come. They have beaten a lot of the teams that they probably shouldn't be beating, but they've been losing to the teams they should be beating. So I think that's the narrative you have to flip. If this is really, and I think that's what the, the projections are kind of like hinting at is like there's going to be regression to the mean in the in the games that they win and lose, and, and there's going to be a lot more games against bad teams in the second half than against the good teams. Yeah. I, I said even during that 13 game losing streak, there was a fun and team, a fun team in on this roster. We've finally seen it. Uh, that was that was really fun basketball Monday Monday night against Utah. So I'm glad that that 
we've discovered that even without Zion and add him to the mix, this is a chance to be really freaking awesome and, and kind of deliver on, you know, some of that hope of, of why, how many people bought season tickets this year? Like A lot. Thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. They had an unprecedented amount of, of season ticket holders. So this is this is what those people signed up for. Uh, and you're going to be joining them in, uh, on the road trip uh, this week, correct? I will. I will be going to New York, Boston, and Detroit. Um, we're going to be you know, covering heavily the ramp up to the Zion return. It's the whole reason I have a job, basically. So right, and I, I hope you still kept your uh, your winter jackets from Denver because it's going to be cold up there. I'm bringing out the Mizzou ski hat. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe on Apple. Subscribe on Spotify. Tell your friends. Birdwatch. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Powered by Noah.com. Talk to you next week. Peace.